0: Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. It's beautiful to be with you this morning. Uh, my name's Graham, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Reach. I'm going to start this morning with a question uh, Have you ever gotten into trouble for doing something good? Well, this guy, uh, his name is Thomas Lopez, and he was a a lifeguard at a beach in Florida. And he's on duty one day, and people come running up to him and say, there's a drowning man out there. So like any lifeguard, he rushes out to this man, swims out to him, grabs his, his unconscious body, brings him back to shore, gives him CPR, calls the paramedics, and saves his life. When Lopez went to hand in the incident report, instead of being heralded as a hero, he got fired. You see, the the lifeguard company that he worked for said, well, that drowning man that you saved was actually swimming outside the designated area. And the signs clearly say that you do that at your own risk. So by Going there and saving him, you know, you were not operating in our company policy, and therefore we have no other thing to do except to fire you. Thanks. That's uh, pretty bad, right? But I don't think ever, anybody ever got into as much trouble for doing good as Jesus. Right? Wherever he went and he did something good, it just seemed trouble arose from it. And this morning, we're going to go through John chapter 9. So if you uh, could open your Bibles to John chapter 9. If you're going to use a, a pew Bible, you're going to find that in on page 895. But as we go through John chapter 9, you're going to see this very thing unfolding. Imagine this, right? There is... A blind man who's never seen. From birth, he has never seen. He's never seen the trees, the sky, the clouds, colors. He's never seen people. And suddenly, he sees. That is an amazing miracle. Now, that miracle should have overwhelmed everything else. But we'll see that it almost gets lost in the controversy that unfolds. So recent there's a lot of been studies done recently about how people react in emergency situations and not everybody reacts the same. So imagine a a young boy has been knocked off his bike in the traffic and you get those people who will get there and they'll run straight away to help the boy. But you'll get a whole bunch of others that just crowd around and watch and take out their phones and film it. You get those that just ask a whole bunch of questions. Oh, what happened? Why why did that happen? You get those who might become angry at the driver. Why weren't you watching? Why did you do this? And as we read John 9, you are going to see how people reacted in different ways. And you would almost think, Someone has got hit by a car rather than a blind man seeing. So there are seven different groups of people, and they have seven different responses. And as we look at them, I want you to think, which one are you? So we start with the disciples. Uh, John chapter 9, verse 1. Let's read. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man's sin or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So the disciples come along, and their first response when they see this blind man is to begin thinking about the question of suffering, right? And wherever you go and you get a bunch of people together and you say, do you have any questions about God? They will always ask, why does God allow suffering? And it comes up in very different forms, but that's essentially it. Why does God allow suffering? And to be honest with you, I've asked that question myself, right? Especially after you've visited people who are going through a a time of suffering or you yourself are suffering. But when the disciples saw him, they stopped and they pondered and they thought, well, this is a a philosophical exercise for us. Like uh, what causes suffering? You know, Uh, who's to blame for it? Who's guilty? And if you can just imagine, they have Jesus with them, right? Jesus, who they've seen do many, many miracles. And yet, it's not like, Jesus, there's a blind man. Let's help him. Let's do something. No, they stop and they go, oh, Jesus, um, is it this man's sin or his parents' sin that caused this blindness? In their minds, it's only A or B, Jesus, It's only a or b right someone did something that caused this blindness you see in their ideas behind all that is this thinking well he probably deserves it probably deserves it right either he or his parents must have sinned big time and they're paying for it i wonder if if we've ever thought that Jesus said, right, Jesus comes on and, and Jesus in all his wisdom says this. Guys, you're missing the point. There's a much more important question than where does this come from. The real question you should be asking yourselves is where is this going to lead to? He says, stop treating this blind man as a case study and treat him as a person. Right? Don't look at, at suffering as something to debate. Look at suffering as something to do something about. See suffering as an opportunity. He says, Jesus says, because the time is coming when you are not going to have that opportunity. He says, so for night comes when no one can work. In other words, he's challenging us when you come up against suffering, Don't look at it as, oh, this is a great opportunity to to think about a philosophical debate. The question you should be asking ourselves is, what can I do about it while I can do something? So Jesus' unique answer to why does God allow suffering, this is what he says. God has allowed this to happen in order that his power might be revealed. You know, and that answer, when we think about it, it hits us squarely between the eyes. Because how often do we stop and we look and we think, oh, gee, that's really bad. But we do nothing about it. Because we don't see it as an opportunity to bring glory to God. When we see suffering as this is an opportunity to bring glory to God, this is a moment that's going to reveal something of His character, we just see it completely differently. We approach it completely differently. And then Jesus says, right, guys, let's, let's get on. Let's do something about it while we can. Because I'm the light of the world, and this man is in darkness, and I'm going to do something about it. And then we meet the blind man, right? This guy... He's not at all concerned about the philosophical debate around this. Only thing he wants, I just want to see. That's it, right? Very practical. I just want to see. In fact, as we go through all these, his attitude is the simplest of everyone there. And then Jesus does something extraordinary, right? He spits on the ground, makes mud from the clay and the dust, I mean, not many of us think of Jesus like that, right? They don't make Christian posters and T-shirts with Jesus spitting on the ground. But our Lord spat on the ground. He took his saliva, he took the dirt, and he made a mud cake. And then he smeared it on the blind man's eyes. Guys, I just have to stop and, and do a warning here. Don't try this at home, okay? Especially as we go into mission month. Uh, not everyone is going to be as keen to have your mud cakes smeared on their faces, right? The difference is they had Jesus, right? (laughs) But I want you to notice, Jesus requires obedience from this man. In verse 7, it says this, And said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed back, washed and came back Seeing. Jesus gives this man something to do, to cooperate with him, right? Jesus is telling us he he demands an active faith, a trust in him, not a passive faith who's just going to sit there and wait for it. No, he's going to get up and respond to Jesus. Jesus said, I've done everything I'm going to do. Now you need to act. You need to act. And he tells him, I want you to walk one kilometer down the road, You're going to miss out on all those begging opportunities for the next hour, but there's something much greater in store for you. I want you to walk down the road with mud on your face, and you're going to go to the pool of Siloam, and you're going to wash, and then you are going to see. What's Jesus doing here? He's actually bringing faith out of this man. He's seeing whether he's going to trust him, right? He's going to surrender to Jesus, I want you to notice that the, the power to heal didn't come from this man's obedience. It didn't come from the water. There was nothing magical in that. The power to heal came from Jesus. And he sends him to this place called Salome, this pool of Salome. Now, Jesus is being very intentional here. He's not making a mistake. He could have just used like a cup of water and splashed on his thing. He's sending to him to a place called Sent. Jesus is making a statement here. He's saying, I am the sent one. I am the light of the world. The next people we meet in the story are the neighbors. Now, I don't know if you've ever had those neighbors. You never see them, right? And then one day, you're busy reversing down your driveway, and you smash your side mirror. And suddenly, they're all there watching. Oh, no, what happened? By the way, that's a purely hypothetical situation. It would never happen. Uh, For those of you who were here last week and you heard Pastor Timon tell that story, I chuckled the loudest because I've done exactly the same thing. So if you're taking notes, you probably want to write this down. Never lend your car to a city reach pastor. It will come back with one mirror. But this third group that we meet, they are those kind of neighbors. They are concerned with sensation, right? Entertainment, great, let's go out and see what's going on. And the neighbors ask this question, isn't this the man? And others said, no, 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 it's not him, it can't, it can't be right, maybe it just looks like him, it's probably his brother. Now, isn't it interesting, Right? The the reason that they probably didn't recognize him was they had never paid him much attention before. He had been a blind beggar. He was nothing to them. And suddenly, he's the center of attention, and they've never really given him any of their attention. He's just a blind beggar. And you can see, he's right there. They're talking about him instead of talking to him, right, And they said, is this not the man? And then he's like, well, hang on, guys, I'm, I'm still in the room. Actually, I am the man. I am the man. You know, you've seen me sitting here begging. Well, look at me now. And the neighbors are amazed. Wow, this is great entertainment. Nothing like this has ever happened before. And then they totally lose interest in him. And they're like, well, who did this? Who did this? You know why they wanted Jesus? They wanted to find out this person is like, entertain us again. Entertain us again. Can we be like those people, those neighbors? We just want to be entertained. Just excite us. Give us a good feeling. Then we meet the Pharisees. The Pharisees. They bring him before the Pharisees. And their response is one of absolute moral superiority. I am better than you. You see, there are two great dangers in Christianity. On the one hand, you have this idea that as long as I believe in Jesus, I can do whatever I want. I can live my life exactly how I want. I get to define for myself what is good and evil. But on the other hand, you get those that they just, they just want to load up with rules and traditions and rules and traditions. And they say, you can't do that. You mustn't do that. You can't do this. You must do this. And they end up with this long list of things you can and, you can and can't do. And the Pharisees, they had lists. They had many traditions. And they had a long list of commandments of things that you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And one thing that you couldn't do on the Sabbath was make ointment. And they had said, Jesus, we saw you, you know, the idea that you spat and you made mud. Oh, you must have been making ointment, right? And then you opened a clinic and you healed a blind man. Man, couldn't have that have just waited till the next day? I mean, the guy had been born blind his whole life. One more day really wouldn't have mattered. The Pharisees were so close-minded in their religion of rules. And in their minds, they have this contradiction. They go like, well, you know, he can't really be a miracle worker. He can't be a man of God because he's broken the Sabbath. they trapped in their own logic and their own narrow minds. And what really is happening to them is that secondary things have so blinded them that they cannot see primary things. A blind man from birth has been healed, and they couldn't see it, right? They're so full of moral superiority that they couldn't even rejoice in the fact that this had taken place. For them, it was more important to argue about the trivial stuff of what is, what you are and aren't allowed to do on the Sabbath than the fact that a blind man could see. They couldn't even, oh, well, praise the Lord for that. No, 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 these guys argued. Well, he can't be a good man because he's broken the Sabbath. And then even amongst their own thing, like, like, well, he can't really be a bad man because he just opened somebody's eyes who's never seen. And even amongst themselves, they divided. So they ask the man. Now, you think that's probably the first thing they should have done. But then they ask the man, well, what about you? Who do you think this man is? He doesn't even miss a beat. He just says he's a man of God, he's a prophet. And the Pharisees are like, no way, no way. This man is not a prophet. But you know the fact behind all that is that they didn't really want Jesus to be a prophet. They were not looking for Jesus. Because Jesus was a threat to them. They liked being in control. They liked people looking up to them, esteeming them. And suddenly Jesus comes on the scene and it's like, no, he's a threat to me. He can't be a prophet. I don't know if you can see that these guys were supposed to be the very people that were were showing the nation of Israel what God is like. They should be there caring for people, loving people, pointing them to God. And here they themselves can't even see the works of God. And like many skeptics today, they just explain the miracle away. They say, well, what's happened here? It's just mistaken identity, right? Let's just call in his parents. We'll ask them, and we'll clear this whole thing up. So they call mom and dad. And mom and dad come in. And what was their response? Just a heads up here, guys. These guys are not going to win Parents of the Year Award. (laughs) Because they are totally concerned about themselves. They're concerned about their own little safety, their own little comfort. And this is what they say. They get up there and they say, yes, he, he's our boy. And yes, he was born blind. But, but please don't ask us any more questions. We, we don't want to get involved. We're, we're very comfortable here. Very, please, we don't want to upset anybody that that's all we're going to say. These guys are just playing for safety. And, and they go further, right? And then they kind of handball it back to their son. And they say, well, well just, just ask him, right? Please leave us out of it. He's, he's grown up. He's responsible. Just ask him. And you know what? I, I love John. He's just awesome. And he, he very sneakily puts in this verse which exposes them. It's just beautiful, right? So here it is, verse 22. He puts it in commas, and this is what he says. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. What was their biggest trouble? Fear. Fear. Fear, and fear makes you do silly things. Fear makes you say, Well, I'm not going to be involved. I'm afraid to lose what I've got. And these guys, they were afraid to lose their spot in the synagogue. Right? I don't know if you get the irony of that, right? The synagogue was the place you gathered to worship the Lord. That was the whole purpose. For these guys, it wasn't about God at all. Church was a social club, and they didn't want to lose that. It wasn't about honoring God for them. It was about their social club, and they were just playing church. We move along, right, because this is getting nowhere. And they go back to the leaders, and the leaders are angry people. And they're angry because their status is being threatened. Now, angry people tend to go through uh, a few stages. The first stage is denial. And then insult, and then abuse, and then violence. And as you see this dialogue unfold between the leaders and the blind man, you can almost see these things happening between them. I mean, one of the things they do in verse 24 They call him and they say, So for a second time, right? We've already heard, but a second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. They're telling him, Tell us the truth now. Tell us the truth. Do not lie. And then they say this We know. We have all the answers. We know that this man is a sinner. Can you see that? They call him, You tell the truth. And then they tell an outrageous lie themselves. See, they think because they are leaders, everyone should bow down to them. Their version of the truth was what they determined it to be. They weren't interested in the truth at all. It was a leading question, right, for this guy. There's no humility in these guys at all. But you know what I love? is this blind guy, right? This blind guy, he's lost all fear of people, right? And I am utterly convinced that he was the first Australian. (laughs) You know why? Because he's sarcastic with them, right? Here they are. He's standing before them, verse 27. He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen why, do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> now that's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Very Australian, that, but he, that was brilliant. But here's the thing. Being sarcastic with angry religious leaders is not the way to win friends and influence people. So he's so different to his parents, right? You can imagine, he's standing next to mom and dad there. They are going bright red. I can't believe he just said that. I can't believe he just, shut up, son, shut up, son. But you do realize that he could have paid with his life for that comment. But here's the thing, right? When Jesus touches your life and you see him, as he really is, you lose fear of people. You're prepared to say who he is and what he's done for you. But these guys at this, their anger just spills over, right? They insult him. You are a sinner. Don't lecture us. And then the only power that they have left, they use, and they throw him out. Imagine that guy's day. (laughs) Imagine his day. He starts off as a blind man begging, and this guy comes along, spits on the ground, and puts mud on his face and tells him to go and wash. He then sees. This is amazing. But his day finishes with him being insulted and thrown out. Now, if the story ended there, that would be pretty sad. But it doesn't, because we meet the hero of the scene. We see Jesus again. Now this man, he's just been thrown out. You do realize that he wouldn't have been able to recognize Jesus, because Jesus had put mud on his eyes and sent him away to wash. So when he washed it off, he wouldn't have seen Jesus. So he could have walked the streets of Jerusalem looking for Jesus, and he wouldn't have recognized him. But get this, he didn't need to because Jesus was waiting for him. Guys, no matter how many friendships or relationships you lose because of Jesus, there's one thing that trumps all of that. There's one compensation for that that is better than anything else is that you get Jesus himself. You see, this man had been thrown out of the synagogue. Man, his parents might never have wanted to speak to him again. Certainly the Pharisees would want nothing to do with him anymore. The Pharisees had lots of influence, so they probably influenced the people. Don't go near this guy. He had lost a whole lot of friends that day and possibly family. But Jesus found him. Jesus found him. And Jesus comes to him and he says something like this. Now, it's a beautiful thing that you see, but I'm actually much more interested in a deeper issue, much more deeper than your physical eyesight. I'm concerned with your spiritual health, your spiritual eyes, because you see you are still blind. And he says to him, do you believe in the son of man and the man replies like i don't know him how can i how can i believe and really what jesus is saying is like he's reminding him of his voice because he would have remembered the voice right and he says to him i'm talking to you now and as much to say jesus is saying do you, do you remember me from this morning do you remember how your eyes were opened and suddenly it's like that's the voice That's the voice of the one who told me to go and wash and gave me my eyesight. And he drops down and he says, I believe, and he worships. He worships. Now that is absolutely beautiful. We have a man who's been healed in his body. He's suddenly seeing for the first time. But when you look at Jesus and you say, I know you. I know you. I believe in you. I see That is truly, truly beautiful. Because here's the thing, guys. Our physical eyes, they're going to get weaker and weaker and weaker. That's why I'm wearing glasses. But the most beautiful thing about our spiritual eyes is we just begin to see clearer and clearer and clearer. That's what it really means to see. I was born with spiritual blindness, right? I just couldn't see, I couldn't see at all. I thought, I once thought all Christians were miserable hypocrites and I wanted nothing to do with them and then I was 21 years old and I got healed of my disease and I could see. I could see, I was introduced to the light and my eyes were open and suddenly I saw everything differently. I saw people differently. People were no longer objects. People were there to be loved. They were image bearers of God. They were there to be served. I saw my future differently. I saw my purpose differently as it should be. And I could see myself differently. Guys, we're all born with that condition. The most beautiful thing is we all have access to a savior, a healer. And then Jesus says this, right? He's got a crowd, a couple of people are listening, and he says this, you know, I came into the world to judge. I came to separate people because blind people are going to see. But those who see are going to become blind. And you know, the... the, Ask yourself, like, how, how, does, how does that work, right? Well, light has a double effect. It enables some people to see, but it can also blind you. Judy, you imagine a car driving along a very dark country road, and it's got its bright, its headlights on. If you are traveling in that car, that light is lighting the way. It illuminates everything. It keeps you safe. It shows you where the road is. But if you are coming against that car, that same light will blind you. And there are many people who've had car accidents where they've been blinded by that light. Because if you are traveling with Jesus, His light is going to light your way. But if you're travelling against him, you're going to go blind. And the Pharisees, they know Jesus is getting at them, and they say, "Are you saying? Are you saying we, the Pharisees, are blind too?" And Jesus replies a little bit like this. He says, "No, I'm, I'm not exactly saying that. Because if you were blind, you wouldn't be blamed." But you claim to know God. You teach others about God. So you're not even in the category of those who can't see. You're in the category of those who won't see. Your mind is so closed to the things of God. You think you are so close. You think you are being a light to everyone else. But actually... You're in darkness. Charles Spurgeon, he was a preacher a couple of hundred years ago, and he said this, It is not our littleness that hinders Christ, but our bigness. It is not our weakness that hinders Christ. It is our strength. It is not our darkness that hinders Christ. It is our supposed light that holds back his hand. Guys, if I'm honest, that describes me a lot of the time. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The minute I forget that and I start believing in my own little light, that's when I start thinking like the disciples. And I just... I look at suffering, but I'll do nothing about it. Yeah, I'll have a conversation about it, where it comes from, but I'll do nothing about it. Or I'm like those neighbors, and I'm just interested in entertainment, just sensation. Like, where's the next thing that'll entertain me and lift me up? Or I'm like those Pharisees. And I find my righteousness in the rules and traditions that I've created and the standards that I've built up for myself. And I puff myself up and I look down on others. The moment I forget that Jesus is the light of the world and not me, I become like those parents. And I become fearful. I don't want to say anything. I don't want to lose my reputation I'm afraid people will think I'm a fruitcake. Or I become like those leaders. And I'm so worried about my status and I get angry when things don't go my way. And uh, I insult others. I gossip about them. I abuse my so-called power. But when, when I look at Jesus and I realize he is the light, not me, He is the light. That's when I see things differently. It's when my life looks differently. It's when His grace to me flows out of me, and I don't stand idly by. I do something. It's when His boldness that He gives me becomes courage, and I will speak out. I will speak out against hypocrisy. I will speak out for truth. You see, my light leads to a dead end. But Jesus' light, it is the way. It is the truth. It is the life when we follow him. You see, Thomas Lopez, that lifesaver, they asked him again. They said, You know, knowing what you know now, you've lost your job, would you do it again? Would you do it again? And this is what he said in a heartbeat. He said, I am a life God. That's what we do. Guys, when we follow Jesus and we trust in him and we allow his light to lead us, we say, I will fear no evil for you are with me. I am a Christ follower. This is what we do. Amen. We follow him. We surrender to him. Guys, I don't know who you identify most with in this passage. But if I'm honest, probably for me, it's the parents. Fear often gets the better of me. And I don't want to speak. And I need to repent of that. And I need to ask him to forgive me and to lead me. And I need to turn my eyes back to his light. Maybe some of us this morning, we need to repent where we've started believing in our own bigness, in our own light, instead of His. And What we need to do is just turn again to see Him as the light of the world, to trust in His precious blood, which forgives us, it heals us, it redeems us. And to trust in His promises that He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. And it is found in no other person. Will you stand? I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for myself. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the light of the world and I'm not. Lord, I thank you for that, that your beauty and your grace towards me and your light towards me enables me to see and enables me to see your beauty, enables me to see others the way you see them. Your grace towards me empowers me to do something. Lord, I thank you that we are your church. We are loved by you. And we are called to be salt and light in this world. Your salt and your light. Lord, would you help us to be salt and light this week? Would you help us to see the world through your eyes? I thank you for your light that opened my eyes to see you and to see the beauty of your son. In Jesus' name.